Good evening, everyone. Thanks so much for being here. Wonderful to see you all, and thank you for your ongoing practice. So I reviewed the talk that I gave on prayer on January 1st and found it to be um, clear and complete in terms of what I wanted to say specifically on that topic. And so I am continuing into um, different realms here. But in part inspired by... um, a statement I heard Chujo circle back to several times, which was, um, I don't even, I don't know what's good for me. I don't know what's good for me. He said, so part of my practice is acceptance. So that's one of many, many, many truths that we touched on in a very multifaceted discussion about what prayer is or could be. Mm-hmm. And part of what prayer is or could be is our um, engagement with this world and participation in this world. I found a quote by Blaise Pascal. Um, It's actually at the very beginning of Stephen Batchelor's book, Living with the Devil. Uh, Pascal says, so Pascal was a mathematician and philosopher and physicist and uh, Catholic writer who lived in the 1600s. He says, I do not know who put me in the world, nor what the world is, nor what I am myself. I am in a terrible ignorance about everything. I do not know what my body is, or my senses, or my soul or even that part of me which thinks what I am saying, which reflects on itself and everything, but knows itself no better than anything else. I see the terrifying spaces of the universe enclosing me, and I find myself attached to one corner of this expanse without knowing why I have been placed here rather than there, or why the life allotted to me should be assigned to this moment rather than to another in all the eternity that preceded and will follow me. I see only infinity on every side, enclosing me like an atom or a shadow that vanishes in an instant. So it's like that, huh? 
I'm reminded of um, a story I heard about Suzuki Roshi, where he comes into the room and says, life is impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible. You know, given like, given, you know, what, what I just read here, right? <laughs> it's impossible. And then Suzuki Roshi proceeds to say, well, but we do it anyway. So in this context, um, prayer is that doing it anyway. All the ways we find to do it anyway, to engage anyway. And engagement is um, an important step. So also in this same book that I'm, I find myself beginning to read again, or maybe for the first time. Anyway, Stephen Batchelor's Living with the Devil. Um, I found some very clear, um, precise statements um, really about emptiness. Some, some language and some description which I found particularly um, helpful. So I'm going to read some other passages from, from this. So this is Stephen Batchelor says, quote, At the heart of Buddha's awakening lies a counterintuitive so close quotes here for a bit. <laughs> um, I really appreciate his precise choice of words. I really appreciate like these, these precise words really um, work for me. At the heart of Buddha's awakening lies a counterintuitive recognition of human experience as radically transient, unreliable, and contingent. Radically transient, unreliable, and contingent. So I think we have impermanent suffering and no self. But we got radically transient, unreliable, and contingent. By pain sustained unsentimental attention to life as it unfolded within and around him, Siddhartha Gautama, the historical Buddha, realized that no essential self either underpinned or stood back and viewed the integrated display of colors, shapes, sounds, sensations, thoughts, and feelings that arise and vanish in each moment of consciousness. So close quotes for a sec here. Bachelor saying, this is what the Buddha saw. He paid attention and found no self among the aggregates, is another way we see it. He found that no essential self either underpinned was behind or underneath, 
or stood back and viewed even. Even an observer, observer, couldn't find an observer either. All he found was the display of colors, shapes, sounds, sensations, thoughts, and feelings that arise and vanish in each moment of consciousness. This startling insight shook him to the core of what he felt himself to be. The instinctive conviction of being, and I think this is what he meant earlier by um, counterintuitive versus intuitive, like this intuitive, this kind of habitual returning to this sense that there's this unchanging, isolated I, the instinctive conviction of conviction of being an unchanging, isolated eye collapsed. Life was just a dazzlingly tentative array of contingent processes, playing themselves out in complex sequences of causes and effects, but with no discernible beginning, no discernible beginning, and no divine power mysteriously directing them to a preordained end. Mm-hmm. Now, don't don't um, worry about believing or not believing any piece of this. Mm-hmm. Gotama found this revelation of a selfless and godless reality to be deeply liberating. Mm-hmm. And I think here... Um, it's important to just stop and say if we think we're coming to some understanding of what we often label as emptiness and we're not finding it to be deeply and profoundly liberating or finding it to be um, depressing or defeating Um, that's not what the Buddha meant. This is part of why, this is part of, this is also um, the truth of needing to investigate and, and feel things out and look, 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 look. So remember, we started by saying, um, by paying sustained, unsentimental attention to life as it unfolded within and around him, Siddhartha came to a realization. Hmm. So there's a way in which facing, so I imagine we all, resonated to some degree with Pascal's quote, with the truth of that. <clears throat> but then there's the practice of really turning towards that, really turning towards that and grounding over time in that truth. And grounding over time in that truth so that we can like 
so that we can live and respond while seated in that dynamic chaos. Which we ourselves are part of, are part of. Can we really hold things that open and free and with no handrails? Another point that Bachelor makes in the beginning of this book is that all of the meaning that we place on things is it's it's all mythology. It's all mythology. Even our scientific explanations of things and our ideas about how life began. Even when they have some um, somewhat reliable basis to them, there's still there's still not anything to hang on to. There's nothing that we know that gives us that. And yet we're sometimes we say we're meaning making beings, but we we just keep grabbing. <laughs> Grabbing. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, the first grab, if you will, is this grabbing onto an idea that, that there's a me. That there's a me. And sometimes we can't quite see that. We see, we see the reaching out and holding that comes after that the defending or the proving or the hiding mm. or the wanting. Mm. And me, the meanings we put onto things and the mythology, if you will, like has its place and can be helpful, but that's not kind of the main point of this talk. So this is my aside to say, you know, we're talking about emptiness. Um, this can be scary stuff. If we're falling into depression, let's, you know, talk about that. Okay. So, okay, back to emptiness. So Gotami found this, this is Stephen Bachelor again, this revelation of a selfless and godless reality to be deeply liberating. He was freed from the self-centered compulsions and fears that had trapped him in the seemingly, in seemingly endless cycles of boredom and anguish. Mm-hmm. There's a me and then... <laughs> All the problems that come with that. Mm. He referred to this freedom as nirvana, literally a blowing out of the fires of such existential discontent. So from the delusion that there's somehow this me entity among the thoughts and feelings and causes and conditions, from that delusion comes a kind of destructive fire. Mm. 
or problems. And when that delusion is, um, I would say, momentarily taken away, but incomplete enlightenment extinguished, right? So are the fires. Elsewhere, he spoke of this as emptiness, an open space where the idea of being an isolated and permanent self is no longer able to ensnare one. So for everybody I've ever met, like I, I don't feel that I've met a perfectly enlightened being, um, we, we get ensnared and then hopefully sometimes freed. Yeah, so sometimes it's like this and sometimes it's like that. Um, this emptiness is the abode of, the great, of a great person. So this free open space where one can encounter and respond to the world from a selfless but caring perspective. to read a little more on this concept of contingency. Okay. okay, so earlier he said, at the heart of the Buddha's awakening lies a counterintuitive recognition of human experience as rad radically transient, unreliable, and contingent. So contingency, he says, is a concise and reasonably accurate translation of the Buddhist concept of, uh, which is usually rendered dependent origination. Whatever is contingent depends on something else for its existence. As such, it need not have happened. That's an interesting way to look at it, huh? For had one of those conditions failed to materialize, something else would have occurred. He actually tells a story later where um, he's looking at a photo album as a child, and his mom points to a picture and says, um, had things been a little bit different, that guy would have been your dad. And Stephen's like, well, then probably yeah, it wouldn't have been me, but yeah. I mean, that's, that's quite a thing to say to a kid, but um, anyway. So for him, this, this idea that um, the contingencies need not have happened, you know, extends to him. And of course, he's going to get there with, with all of us, too. We're, we're contingently existed, existent. <clears throat> And momentary. <laughs> what was that other good? Radically transient. <laughs> Radically transient. Um, we make contingency plans because life is full of surprises, and no matter how careful our preparations, things often do not turn out as anticipated. 
the devilish complexity of living systems makes it hard to foresee how a given system, be it a person or a flock of birds, will behave at the next moment, let alone the next month or next year. Contingency reveals a chaotic freedom at the heart of causally ordered events. The opposite of contingency is necessity. No matter how ephemeral and insignificant I recognize this human life of mine to be, I cannot shake off, and he again calls it an intuitive conviction, that deep down my existence is necessary in the scheme of things. That was an interesting point. I wonder if others resonate with that. An intuitive conviction that deep down my existence is necessary in the scheme of things. By paying close and sustained attention to the contingent nature of experience, the practice of Buddhist meditation challenges the instinctive feeling that we are, in the words of Milton Satan, self-begot, self-raised by our own quickening power. Um, challenges the instinctive feeling that we are. <laughs> in eroding this sense of our own necessity, we come to see how the unprecedented and unrepeatable person we are Right, that's true too. Unique and special and unprecedented, unprecedented and unrepeated. Right, never happened before, will never happen again. We come to see how this person emerges from a sublime matrix of myriad contingent events, no one of which need have happened either. So he is trying in my view, to cut through this um, and in looking, like I, I do resonate with this, like this sense that, yeah, it's all chaotic, but I'm somehow necessary or have a purpose. some sense of it's not all just random and chaotic, right? But this truth is pointing to us as a contingency arising from myriad contingencies. And then I think this final, I think final, yeah, statement is pretty important to highlight. Um, he says, insight into emptiness of self is achieved not by eliminating self, but by understanding it to be contingent rather than necessary. Insight into emptiness, insight into the emptiness of self is achieved not by eliminating self, 
but by understanding it to be contingent rather than necessary. And the way I, the Dalai Lama said it, I believe is, um, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't have a quote in front of me, it's not that there is no self, it's that we're confused about how the self exists. And then Bachelor, um, paraphrasing again, as a contingency rather than a necessity. With no fixed thing to be found. and a whole lot more unknown and maybe nothing known. So how wonderful and mysterious and fascinating and scary. Um, but I do find that when turn straight towards all of it, there is liberation to be found in facing this um, bigness and apparent chaos. So thank you very much. So we'll close the